Slinging Quack. Week four of the 2015 college football season coming up. I'm Rusty, joined by Sean. Big week coming up. Big week. It's finally time for Pac-12 football. Finally time for Pac-12 football. Uh, we have a 5.30 kickoff. So it's going to be like Pac-12 eventually after dark. after dark. Yeah. Well, it's after dark on the East Coast. So I guess Pac-12 after dark, though, doesn't start till like 7.30 our time. Like 7, 7.30. I can, yeah, I consider Pac-12 after dark like those, those 7.30 kickoff games. Yeah, like Utah-BYU last week. Yeah. Oh, side and, note. A side note. I'd like to point this out. So we were texting a little Saturday night, and like during Bama Ole Miss, and you sent me the tweet that was like uh, near the end of Bama Ole Miss, and it was like, "You think that college football week's done, but Hawaii's in the second quarter right now." Remember that when you sent me that? If Hawaii, if Hawaii ever, I, I need to pull up that text. If Hawaii ever joined the Pac-12, Pac-12 after dark would reach peak levels that could never be topped yeah yeah so things happen yeah so after utah like when colorado went this year packed 12 after dark remember the refs like the entire last minute of the game just struggled maybe you don't remember i was watching it at two in the morning um yeah uh but like the rest botched like the last whole minute when colorado was driving for the win so i'm looking for Hawaii Cal Poly. I realize how ridiculous this sounds. I'm looking for Hawaii Cal Poly at like 11:30 at night, and I find it, and it's pay per view. It's pay per view. Yes, it's Time Warner Cable, and they only showed it locally in Hawaii. Oh my! So because it's like Time Warner or something, I have to pay per view it. I love me some Hawaii football, but the only reason, only thing I'm ever pay-per-viewing is, like, the best fights ever. Like, if it's a Mayweather fight, if it's, like, a big UFC fight, actually, I just go down the street for that now. But if it's, like, Mayweather, maybe Triple G, Lemieux, nobody knows who those people are on this podcast, but I'm not paying $10 to watch Hawaii Cal Poly. Couldn't even find a good stream of it. You're a better person than that. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to think so. Speaking of Pac-12 After Dark, for all of you who are excited about the upcoming Oregon at Colorado game in Boulder next weekend, it's oh. a 7 o'clock kickoff. Oh, God. Yeah. I feel bad. late night. God, those 7 o'clock games and like even this 5.30 one, I'm like, I'm not going to get home till 1 or 2. And Bama, Ole Miss didn't even finish till like 12.30 their time. That game just would not end. Well, it didn't. It like it didn't even kick off until like six fifteen local time, which is like what? Bam! They're in the central. Are they in central or east coast? They're time? two hours ahead. So their kickoff wasn't even until 8:15. like eight fifteen. And that went. That so game we, was like four and a half hours. So we think a seven o'clock kickoff is bad. Oh. Yeah. Well, those people get lit for college football like I wish all LSU games started at like 10pm their time just that crowd is just so turnt it would just reach it would reach peak levels of insanity yeah so okay let's go ahead and start with our pro ducks um because really 
there's only like a couple people that we actually care about. Like we care about all our products, but there's like two people who actually like we actively follow. We say products and like, you know, collectively we love all, I think there's like 32 of them, but really deep down inside there's, there's some people we focus on. Right. Obviously I think I've said this before, but I was going through like a bunch of highlights. I really miss Marcus. I really miss him. I, it, you know, it's like the, um, it, it's like when you have the, the ex-boyfriend or girlfriend who left you a little bit too soon. Didn't, you, you, you kind of saw it coming, but you still weren't fully emotionally prepared for it. And then you have to like go be in the same room as them again after they've like moved on with their lives. Oh. And you're like, ah, not quite <laughs> over it yet. Come back. <laughs> Uh, it reminds me of when Brandon Roy was released by the Blazers, and he was like, breaking up is hard to do. It's even tougher when neither one wants to break up. It's like, oh, so I got to feel with Marcus. Like, the you fields. have to go to the NFL, but I'm going to miss you. But I, I want you to do better things. And he's like, I don't want to leave either, but I have to make money. A whole <laughs> lot of money. Um, God, he's such a good effing guy. Like, <laughs> He's such a hunk. He's so dreamy. Um, Okay, so at Cleveland, Cleveland had one of the best secondaries, has one of the best secondaries in the league. Um, The Tennessee pass pass blocking is virtually non-existent. Like, they had two starters uh, from the season beginning. The right guard went out, like, in the second quarter. The saying that there was any pass blocking would be a compliment. He was rushed, like, almost every single time. And it wasn't, like, red, rushed, like, around the edge or anything. Mm-hmm. That pocket got blown up the middle so hard. There is even a there is even a play where it got blown up. He escaped, like, all the way to the sideline, running towards, the, like, the right sideline. He throws across his body. It went, like, 10 yards downfield because it crossed all the way over the... F- all the way across, it was like 60 yards total. Hits a wide open tight end for a big gain. It's like maybe four players in the league who can do that. And one of them isn't even human. That's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So that's, um, and I, you know, it, it was the big, it was kind of the, the big, oh, it's Johnny Manziel versus Marcus Mariota. The, you know, they were almost teammates once, and how they face off in the NFL. Yeah. I, and here's the thing, too, is like, so people were like, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to, to see the game, but people were, from the gist of what I was getting, everyone was like, oh, Marcus had a great first week, and then he was awful the second week. <laughs> yeah. If, His, uh, 21, if 21 completions on 37 attempts for 257 yards for two touchdowns, no interceptions, is an awful week, then you know, I guess that's okay. Uh, yeah, I like, I was expecting him to, like, it was, you know, I was expecting to see, like, you know, 150 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, like, something like that. I'd be like, okay, that's, that's pretty bad. But this is just like, okay, you did well. Your, your team just sucks. I get how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Manziel, eight for fifteen. 
he was out of his mind. There were a couple of plays that was just that were just so good. Like, I really hope that he's doing better and everything because I know he went to rehab and whatever, so I really hope he does well. Um, he made so many good plays. Like, so many good plays. So, there was one, there was a couple where Brian Arakpo was even like, that was, that was pretty amazing. Like, yeah. I'm not even mad. I, you know, I, I'm kind of that, that type of person who likes to, I, I put a little bit too much faith in humanity, and I guess I'm a little <laughs> naive about things at times, but, you know, it's like, okay, Johnny Manziel goes to rehab, comes back, says he's like turned his life around, he's a changed person. Which I really hope is true. Like, I really hope he just like, kind of had, like, an epiphany. Yeah. Or just just kind of a, a slap-in-the-face moment. And I really, like, I really, I know he was a douchebag in college, but I really want good things for the guy. Like, yeah. I, I would be happy seeing him have a successful NFL career. Yeah, here's, here's one of the things I don't think many people realize. Um... It's like, oh, whatever, like, quarterback, celebrity problems or whatever. But, like, I remember I was speaking with, like, an agent a few years ago. And I said, like, who's who's easier to represent, like, actors or athletes? And I was thinking he was going to say athletes. Because you think of, like, actors or actresses as being, like, total prima donnas. He said, mm-hmm. Actor, actors are way easier. I was like, why? And he said... Because at one point in their careers, nobody would even return their phone calls. This is very true. And a lot of these guys who are athletes were the best athlete at every point in their life. And so they've never had a time where people like weren't handing them stuff out. Right, exactly. So in a lot of ways, like you see it too, like especially Tyson is like, the epitome of this problem where it's for it's just where like people will cut you so many breaks that you legitimately should not get but because the people have an incentive to like like Johnny Manziel especially probably got with a lot of stuff at Texas A&M and I think the school probably enabled him you know um Mm -hmm. in high school probably got away with a ton of stuff um, that's exactly what happened with Tyson. Um, so I'm sure that's happened with like a lot of ducks in the past too. Um, so, but there's like not a lot of times where people actually will be like, Hey guys, knock this off. Like you're out of line. So, and it's like, Oh, well now he's making like millions, but it's still like, even on a human level, like not having like everyone just like kissing your ass for like their own benefit. It's like kind of a sucky reality. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so QB, uh, QBR 29.7, not great. But if you watch, there was like a lot of drop passes, a um, couple tough plays. Yeah, he could have done better. There were a few really dumb plays, though. Ones that you clearly would be like, no, that's that's uh, that's too dangerous. Way, bad, ter- terrible idea. I, I think it'll be, it, it's good, and he's going to have... That's going to be the thing this year is like, and we've kind of touched on this too in previous episodes, but market, he's going to get, he's going to, he's in an odd spot and he's probably smart enough to know it, but he's going from a team that, you know, it was, it was almost, you know, it was 
panic mode if you lose one game, end of the world if you lose two games a year. Mm-hmm. And that was the culture he was around for the last few years. And now he's on a team where, like... They lose all the time. If they if they lose only 10 games this year, it'll be... A success. Leaps and bounds over what it was last year. Yeah. And so to, like, just be in that culture where you get to the end of the year and you're 6-10 and 10 and you lost 10 games in a single season... And for everyone around you to be like, yeah, good job, guys. We, we did better. You mm-hmm. know, it, it'll be, I think he's going to grow up very, very quickly being around that type of culture um, and just seeing kind of how he responds to it. Because we all know he can bounce back from a loss. We've seen mm-hmm. him do it just about every year in Oregon. And the question will be when, when that team loses three or four games in a row or gets, you know, late in the season and they've lost 10, 11, 12 games if it gets that bad, how how is he going to respond then? So it'll be interesting to see now that he's kind of had his first, okay, maybe I'm not superhuman after all in this league. Maybe the Buccaneers just suck that bad. Yeah. Maybe, you know, but... Yeah, and the Buccaneers' defense is is god awful to be honest so probably a lot of the reasons why his qbr was perfect week one um yeah and speaking to your point too like that's where that's where like the viewpoint based on interviews i've read with nfl players and a couple that i've talked to it's like like what herm edwards says like you get paid to practice like that's not the fun part right like that's right probably the least fun part like going to meetings like doing all the extra film work and stuff and making sure you're prepared you, all the time. That's You do it because it's your job. That's the job. Playing is the easy part, right? It's all the other stuff is the part where you get paid to do it. And so, like, when you hit those games, like, week 11, week 12, you're out of the hunt. Like, the games kind of aren't important at that point. That's where it's, like, that's where you, that's what you're getting paid for is to still perform under those. Yeah, to be able to go out there every week and perform like you're in a playoff hunt. Yeah. That'll be Yeah, that that's a tough task for anyone. Um, yeah. But he you know I, I think we all know he can handle it. It'll just be interesting seeing it play out over the course of the year. Yeah. So like the epitome of a pro, Peyton Manning, JJ Watt the the uh the anti professional uh Achilles Smith Johnny Manziel year one like that's what happens you get mm-hmm. out of the league real fast um so uh okay let's go to the grand experiment Chip killing the Philadelphia Eagles oh no Dallas twenty Philadelphia 10 that score is so misleading to what actually happened I thought Oregon State versus Pitt in the Sun Bowl in like 2008 2008 Sun Bowl was the worst football game I've ever seen this game 
is right up there with it. This game takes it. Yep. Minus the village people at halftime. Uh, this was one of the worst games I've ever seen. For, for example, uh, Sam Bradford had a QBR of 5.3. That's phenomenal. I didn't know things could get that low. Um, who who do you think was the leading rusher that game? Um, leading rusher for the Eagles. I am going to go... It's it's definitely it's not it's not gonna be anyone obvious. I'm gonna go with Darren Sproles. Uh no, it's it was Sam Bradford, two carries for nine yards. Oh Darren no. Sproles had one carry for minus four yards. Although he uh Darren Sproles had four receptions for twenty three yards. He is the like the bright spot of this offense right now. He makes up for so many different things just because he can do so many different things. Marco Murray this season has twenty one carries for eleven yards. Oh my god. I That's looking... unbelievable. So this is a true story. I clicked on the Eagles Clubhouse on ESPN. Satisfying Thinking that I had pulled up the game log from Dallas. Those are season stats. No, those are season. Those are actual season stats. It's the bad. Eagles, as a team this year, have rushed for seventy yards. Yep. In, oh yep. my god, that would be awful for one game. They abandoned the run in their uh, game against Atlanta. Um, and they scored a touchdown with like two minutes left. It was uh, it was not you. The crowd was booing Philadelphia the entire game. It was in Philly. I think that the only the like, time of possession doesn't matter in the like in football in general. But yeah. I think Philadelphia ran like thirteen plays in the first half. God, like it's it's one of those where like. The up-tempo spread looks great and everything, but it, when it's not working, it is, it is not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are already like, this system doesn't work. Like Teams have figured it out. It's like, mm, here's why it's not working. The Philadelphia line is awful. Like It's just terrible. It's the worst thing in the world. Like You can always, uh, like one of the stats they look at is yards before contact to figure out like how much the line actually helped with and stuff. Right. So last year, Eagles were near the top. The Miami Dolphins were near the top, who also run like pretty spread-oriented stuff. Oh, meanwhile, Patriots have been running spread since like 2007, but we totally won't bring them up. No one ever considers them a spread team, but they've been a spread team for like ever. Um, and the yards before contact in the game against Dallas was negative. Jesus. That means they are getting hit in the backfield on average. That that that's not good. That's not good football. Right. And and when and when your offense succeeds, when your offense is at its best is when you use play action and there's zero threat of a run game and 
Sam Bradford can't throw a deep ball, like can't throw more than 15 yards downfield, you're going to have a bad time. Like, that's, that's terrible. As a team in this game, the Eagles rushed 17 times for seven yards. Yes. They averaged half a yard per carry. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that me at 160 pounds dripping wet could get more than half a yard in the NFL. With the Dallas Cowboys line, you definitely could. Dallas got a whopping 3.3 yards per carry. Yeah, but like I think the Philadelphia defense is pretty solid. Because the Dallas line is by far like the best in the NFL, in my right. opinion. They have like the best guard ever. Like he's probably one of the best players in the league right now. Um and they still struggled a little bit. So I can't yeah, this wait game was to awful. see yeah. It'll be um you know, Chip Kelly is he's like he's he's starting to get uh, people are starting to make him out to be like this big bad guy who's just hungry for power. Oh yeah, sorry he went and ten and six the last two years. And now I he's got a monster defense, even though Byron Maxwell kinda of sucks right now. And I saw I saw something that said basically this is what happens, you know, they gave they gave the all the keys to Chip Kelly and they put everything in his hands. And it's not that they were bad moves that he was making this off season. They said that it's it's that they were all gambles and they're all simultaneously not paying off. I think that's fair. Like Byron Maxwell was supposed to be, you know, the the anchor of the defense and he's just been hot garbage this year. Yeah, granted week one was against Julio Jones. Which is never a good matchup. Yeah. And like then, Julio Jones is the second best receiver in the NFL and Antonio Brown's the first. And then DeMarco Murray goes up against his old team and carries the ball thirteen times for two yards. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing, too, where you got, like, $24 million wrapped up in a, in a few running backs, and you're not paying your line anything. Like, this is the story of spread offense football. If you don't have a line, you can't do anything. Right? It all starts up front. Yeah. yeah. You could have mediocre running backs. This is why running backs don't get paid that much, because they're so interchangeable. It's all so heavily dependent on the line like you could put uh, Barry Sanders back there Barry Sanders in his prime if he's getting captured at minus three behind the line he's not going anywhere he's just not yeah it's and that's why I mean we've said it before we'll say it again the offensive linemen are the most underrated people in all football because no one ever recognizes them for anything and without them the offense does not function right and uh the go ahead it's just it's just such a crucial piece and yeah especially with a spread offense type system like chip kelly does and like philadelphia's doing like 
if you're if you don't have a good offensive line and you try and run the spread, you're gonna have a bad time. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean honestly, we've said it before on here. Like the reason why Oregon hasn't been able to win a national championship in both games is because our lines are just not as are just not great. They're good. I guess they're they're great. They're not championship level though. Yeah, they- I think they're soft. But they just they just aren't up to par for whatever reason against when you look at like the big SEC teams. They're just they're it's just I don't understand it. It's just not up they're soft. That's yeah. that's just my hot take, simplistic look at it. They're soft. So um yeah. sounds sling and quack. Yeah. Well I mean if you talk to like Auburn or like LSU and those guys they say like granted granted they won or whatever but Mm -hmm. they apparently story goes they watched tape of oregon and as soon as they saw what the line looked like they just started laughing oh and they just were like are they they're like we've won this like our our line is so much better yeah so i mean when another team is like your line is soft it's like okay all right well maybe we should look into this a little bit further Maybe we should fix that. Even even if they lost and they said that, I'd be I'd be like, all right, we need to we should take a look at this. Um, so we'll just go over this. Georgia State that game happened. It was a thing. It did exist. Eleven a.m. kickoff, which makes it the most underwhelming environment ever. Like I had to leave at like seven a.m. We kind of got there, and it wasn't even a big game to begin with. So it was just kind of like. Everyone's just kind of hanging out before the game, and then we're like, okay, I guess we'll go and watch kickoff. And then tons of people left, like at halftime, even more left in the third quarter. People had to get on, those weekend warriors had to get on to their trips to to Home Depot. And God, I, I, I feel like that's my future, and I just hate it. Um, yeah, like you, you had a good point about the alley play. Go ahead. Yeah, so I I didn't get to catch most of the game or any of the game for that matter. I was I was working all day. My full time job is in retail, so watching daytime college football is not an option for me, unfortunately. This one You're a bigger I, man than I. I would have quit. Yeah. I, I gotta pay the bills somehow. Uh only highlight I've seen in this game was Taylor Alley's touchdown run. And it is so quiet in that stadium. I think this was like the last touchdown they scored. Like they were yeah. up. It was like 54-28 late in the fourth. Yep. The, the pure definition of garbage time. And yes, you're supposed to be quiet when your team's on offense, yada, yada, yada. It was so quiet on this play. You could literally hear, if you watch the highlight, you can hear a single person in the stadium scream Alley right before he takes off running. Like, yeah. Not even like, oh, I think I heard his name. No, like clearly one single person in a stadium built for 60,000 screaming out his name. And it's, that's about that, that's about it right there. It's like when you hear the one guy whenever Tiger tees off. And the balls left goes, get in the hole. 
There's always that one guy. That's how that that's guy. how clear it sounded. And it and it wasn't because like everyone was so quiet. It's because nobody was there. Like, I was there. Actually, there were I don't know. There weren't that many people there. Um, Only the strong survive. Yeah, the students too drunk to move. <laughs> um, so I mean the positives where we had some good safety play, like Tyree Robinson had a couple picks, mm-hmm. which is great to see him make some moves because Reggie Daniels has uh, struggled six, this Tyree year. Tyree Robinson. Yeah, and he had another good interception later. Um, Tyson Coleman continues to amaze. DeForest Buckner will drag this defensive line to mediocrity. Hot take. But Hot take. <laughs> He is just amazing. Like, he is absolutely, absurdly good. If he wasn't on this line, like, it would just be... There are no bright spots. Like, Mm -hmm. they are just fillers. Like, take up space and let the linebackers do some work. But DeForest Buckner is just, like, a monster. He's a monster. So, he's, he's... if you got if you got gentle ears, earmost, but he's a badass motherfucker. I want more guys like him. I want a lot more guys like him. That would end well. So, yeah. Um, if if I could have eight DeForest Buckners. Oh Jesus! Just put them all on both lines: five on offense, three on defense. That oh. would be. We're that'd be national championship. That'd be well, easy national championship. Me, me, and Rusty are gonna figure out how to clone. And make eight before his Buckners, and then you guys can thank us for the national championship later. Yeah, exactly. So, is it couple... Jake Fisher who's back this year? No, Tyler Johnstone. Yes, Ch- Tyler Johnstone. Jake Fisher is the type of guy I want. I love Jake Fisher. I wish we had more of him. How about we settle for like four DeForest Buckners and four Jake Fishers? Perfect. Done and done. I so, like Jake Fisher. A couple bits of of trivia from from the game notes here for you. Okay. So Tyree Robinson mm-hmm. finished with two interceptions mm-hmm. to become the first duck with two picks since who against what team? Two interceptions. Who is the last last duck to get two picks in a game? It wasn't that long ago. I feel like it was, I have a couple guesses. My first one, actually, wait a minute. Jairus Bird against USC. Valid guess, but no. Um, was it Eric Dargan? It was. Last year against Michigan State. Against Wyoming last year. Oh, okay. I just remember the one against Michigan State where Connor Cook threw high and he picked it off. Against Wyoming, yeah. Okay. Here's and here's the here's the fun one for you. Okay. If, if you get this one right, it, it people of Sling and Quack, if you've listened to our podcast, you know my obsession with the participation ribbon. Yeah. If Rusty can get this right, he gets like the big giant participation ribbon. With, you know. Like, you know with Taco, like the, the pin button on it. Oh, fantastic! I need yeah. it. You know Taco used to do keg stickers. 
on the That's website. That's fantastic. He did that a few years ago. You should go back to that duck bar in San Francisco and then, like, late into a game, convince him to start doing it again. I might. I, I, we've, got a, uh, we've got another game this next weekend that there might be a return trip to the R bar. I don't know if, if my liver is, like, mentally prepared to handle that particular space again, um, but we're, we might make an effort. You can only find your limit when you get past it. Famous last words. Have you ever seen the picture, the gallery where it's like uh, motivational, like workout things, but over the top of pictures of people drinking? Yes. <laughs> and it's spot on for all of them. It's so good. It's like when your body tells you to stop, keep going. <laughs> it's like someone taking a shot. It's so bad. Oh, so here's um, the here's okay, the ultimate here trivia. Here we go. So. We finally have a field goal kicker again. Okay. So Schneider hit four field goals in a half against Georgia State. Uh Uh-huh. Who was the last Oregon kicker to nail four kicks in a half? Matt Evenson. Nope. Who was the guy... I can, I can, that was my first guess, because I, I just remember him. What was his name? I, I remember the years, because he was there during the Joey Harrington years. This was post-Harrington. It was shortly post-Harrington, right? Shortly post-Harrington, So yes. I remember he was, like, automatic within, like, 40 yards. Oh, my God, what is this guy's name? As soon as you tell me, I'm going to hate it. What is it? Let me know when the uh, the white flag is being raised. Oh, I'd have to Google his name, but I know exactly who it is. Who is it? Tell it me. is in 2005 against Montana, Paul Martinez had five in the first half. See, I wouldn't have guessed Paul Martinez. I would have guessed Paul Martinez. So confident, but... Yeah. So we finally have a kicker again. That's a bright spot. Huge. Isn't that nice and comforting? You know, we it's a prob- huge change of pace. We probably would have at least appeared in one more national title game had we actually had oh, a kicker. Single tier. But single tier. We move on. Um, yeah. Uh, so basically, nothing exciting happened in this Georgia State game, which is probably for the better, except cool. for Taylor Owie's run. More Royce Freeman just going nuts. Taj Griffin got a few carries. He's always exciting. Tony Brooks, James got his. You and know who's falling. You know who we haven't seen, like, at all? Dwayne Stanford. Yes. What is going on? Like, he where, killed it in week one. He's been non-existent. Where has he been? He must have an injury or something. But we'll never know because Oregon doesn't talk about injuries. Yeah, or he's got, like, a really crabby attitude. I like to think it's an injury or something. But I don't, I don't get it because he looks... He looked awesome last year when he played, and he looked awesome in week one, and he has gotten maybe five reps. Yep. And Devin Against, Allen's getting action. Like I just don't understand. Yeah. After. And Rob Mosley won't tell us. That's for sure. Come on, Rob. Give come us on, a Rob. Yeah. All all we know is that. After the Michigan State game, Scott Frost said 
Dwayne's time is coming again. What does that mean? It's so vague and just so organ. What was the context of that statement? He says... So he was, talk, he was talking about Braylon Addison and how he went off. And he said, we probably weren't expecting Braylon to have that big of a game, but he's the guy the ball found. We're proud of Braylon and pleased to see him pleased to see him have that kind of game and Dwayne's time is coming again I know they're stacked on top of each other in the depth chart yeah and Charles Nelson is obviously a baller and Byron Marshall is also a baller so it's kind of those two are kind of the odd men out yeah so he might just be getting it it might just be have to be like a similar situation down the year but where Nobody's expecting Dwayne Stanford to have a big game, and he's going to go off for, like, 200 receiving yards. Right, yeah. And I was talking to somebody else, and, like, what if it's just matchups? And I'm like, there is no matchup on Georgia State where you're like, eh, we're going to have Braylon be ahead of Stanford because it's a better matchup. Yeah. So, oh, uh, we'll just get to this, too. Jeff Lockie was in. He made more than a celebrity appearance. His stat line looks good. It's, see, I don't know. Like, our, our expectations of good quarterback play... Oh, side note, tight ends look solid. Huge, huge plus this year. Was not expecting much. They've surpassed it. Uh, Lockie, like, it's just... It's tough after watching Mariota for three years. Yeah. Miss him. I don't know if we said that yet. Uh, but it's very tough to, like, even be like, this was good quarterback play or whatever, you know? Um, but... It was a very clear drop-off between even Ferdinand Adams with a broken finger um, and Jeff Lockie. It was pretty stark. And I don't even know, like, there just seemed... It seemed more pre-snap than anything. Mm -hmm. Like, Vernon Adams will often... Like, I don't know if he's just checking correctly, but it, it seems like when Vernon Adams is a quarterback the plays just run a lot better in terms of like you don't see him like he gets through his progressions quickly and stuff and with Jeff Lockie you can always feel like you feel like things aren't going according to plan right like something's going wrong and uh there was a lot of times where he was just holding on to the ball and there was like no one open and I really don't believe that Georgia State was throwing that much crazy stuff in do you think it was just a matter of him being like, even if it is Georgia State, be like, oh my god, I'm finally playing like a full game, like I'm the starter, this is my day. Like, do you think he was like trying to prove too much and just trying to do too much, or? Um. No. I just. I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding like I'm being ultra critical. Um, I don't think he is got the football IQ the same way a lot of other players do. I don't think he necessarily sets himself up well for success. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, because I mean, like, plays go, and it seems like, the, like, 
I just know what I see when like Vernon Adams is at quarterback and he finds opening open receivers or like will throw receivers open. Mm-hmm. And I don't see Jeff Lockie doing that. I don't see Vernon Adams really like getting caught in situations that he can't get out of. Um, at least against in the season opener against similar competition or better competition than Georgia State. And you can kind of see Jeff Lockie kind of like kind of like gets himself stuck in a lot of ways. Um, so, I mean, more, I think like a huge part of the quarterback position though is being able to like handle all those different things, right? And not being a, and actually just like managing the offense, not in a game manager type of way, which is what people say for uh, people with very low ceilings. And so basically it's like by game manager, you just mean don't, don't screw up. Like, just th- throw a few dinks and dunks. Just don't throw picks. Yeah. So, but it doesn't seem like there's a ultra grasp of how to excel at the position. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So, upcoming game against Utah, Oregon. Yep. Of course, being, of course being Oregon, they haven't named a starter. Probably won't until at least Friday. It's going to be Vernon. Even then, yeah. It's, it, we all know it's going to be Vernon. They yeah. were just giving him the day off against a team that... Almost beat LSU five years ago. Yes. Um, but yeah, That was it, hilarious. It wasn't, you know, benching Vernon Adams for that game wasn't even a hot take or wasn't even controversial or stirred up a controversy. It was just, it was just an off day. Mm-hmm. It was... Because I mean, so I'm I'm no doctor, but I've had a broken bone before. Not in a finger, but in a toe. Same thing. It's similar enough. It's not serious enough to the point where like you can't function. Like you can still go out and do stuff. It's just it's gonna be bothering you for like probably at least the next six weeks, six to eight weeks, when they gave me my little x-ray diagnosis, they said six weeks mm-hmm. and you'll be good to go again. So let's just give, let's give Vernon Adams that window. That's, that's six weeks. I'm also and sure he's getting like daily checkups too. Yeah, exactly. But the thing about a broken finger is that there's just there's nothing you can do yeah. to speed up through. Like you just have to wait it out. Yeah, depends how broken it is too. Yeah, and so you know, let's say okay, he broke it beginning of September against Eastern Washington, and it sounded like it was at practice. What's that? I heard it was at practice. Okay. Regardless, so early September, broken finger. So let's just say he, he's going to have to play through a game. He's going to have to play through games with a broken finger bothering him against Utah, Colorado, Washington State, Washington, Arizona State on the road. And then let's just say he's healthy again starting November 7th, Cal, with like a fully healed finger. That would be the like – 
if you said take a chunk out of the schedule where your quarterback has to play with a broken finger, that would be the obvious chunk I would take it out of. Still not easy. Utah and Arizona State are going to be insanely good games, probably coming down to the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Colorado, Washington State, and maybe Washington are not cupcake games because it's the Pac-12 and weird things happen in the Pac-12. But After dark. Those would be the three games where I would like confidently say, okay, I'm not that worried that Vernon Adams won't be 100%. Uh-huh. But hopefully it heals to the point where he'll be back for, you know, totally healthy for Cal, Stanford, USC, Oregon State to end the year. Um, but yeah, there's there's no controversy. It's going to be Vernon Adams. They just have literally no reason to name a starter until then. Yeah, I mean, if it was freshly broken for Michigan State, it's not going to be like, Oh, well, it's a few weeks later. We're going to start Jeff Lockie now. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, I thought of this too. So they obviously were keeping his... Like, I didn't even hear that he had an injured finger until like Saturday morning on college game day. Yeah. Like, oh, there's a report that his finger is, is okay to go. I was like, wait, what happened? <laughs> When did he injure it in the first place? They said it on the like on college game. I think distinctly remember they said it happened at practice mm-hmm. earlier in the week. Well, and I mean this can be this is kind of like your almost your classic example of part of the reason why Oregon locks down practices because if that practice is open to the public or open, you know, at least open to media, the entire country knows in about three seconds that Vernon Adams either broke his finger or at least injured his throwing hand because every single member of the media would tweet out the same thing at the exact same moment in time. Uh-huh. And instead, we're all sitting there watching college game day and going, hold up, what, he broke who in the what now? Yeah. And... You know, it's like, does it make that much of a difference? I don't know. But it's just like, Oregon's probably sitting there being like, and that's why we close practices, because they can contain stuff like that. Um, So here's, uh, oh yeah, this also reminded me, because I remember like watching, hindsight is 2020, I remember watching him on the sideline and being like, it's weird. Like, if this is just, like, a small hand injury, he sure is, like, touching his finger a bunch. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's a small thing or whatever, you don't necessarily you're just, like, constantly on the sideline with your hand on it. Like, if I, like, have a jammed finger or something, mm-hmm. or, like, my knuckle is inflamed or something, I'm, all, I'm not always just, like, massaging it. And so that's where I was like, that's kind of weird. And obviously, I think the glove helps with uh, the grip and everything. Oh, excuse me. It's late when we're recording this. Um, but it also reminded me of how, uh, since I'm, I've clearly said I'm a fan of the fight game, um, when fighters like hurt, hurt like especially their hands mm-hmm. um, during training camp and stuff, they will wear gloves like everywhere after that. Yeah. 
And so even sometimes during training camp, they'll just always have stuff covering their hands just so people don't know if they heard it or not. So every once in a while you'll see like, uh, like one of the guys I remember specifically is Adrian Broner who hurt his hand in training camp and he wore like a baseball glove everywhere. <laughs> and he just said, I wear a baseball glove because I make baseball money. He's also, I have a lot of hot takes on Adrian Broner. So, but no one here knows who that is. Um, so moving on. Um, Utah this week. Here's my biggest concern with Utah. Not even uh, Vernon Adams in his finger. That's like, even though that's broken uh, and everything, that wasn't my biggest concern out of the Michigan State game. Like, we lost the Michigan State game because of our line. Mm-hmm. You know, because of the, both lines. Um, mostly the offensive. Because uh, the defense really got their stuff figured out for, like, 50 minutes. But our offense was just broken so much by Michigan State's defensive line. Yeah. Um, Utah has seven guys back on offense and defense. They had, like, four back on the offensive line, three back on the defensive line. And these guys are some bad dudes. These are some bad dudes. They have Lowell Lotulale, which is the younger brother of Star, who is now in the NFL. It was an absolute monster also on the defensive line. Um, like, Lotulale is 310 pounds. Like, and these are bad dudes. Like, their entire offensive line is uh, 300, except for J.J. Delman. Mm-hmm. Like, these guys are so physical. Like, as fast as Oregon linemen are, the, that's how bad the... And I mean bad in, like, the, the good way. Like, there's some bad dudes. Yeah, and they... Like, these are the guys that just, like, dominated Michigan at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, exactly. A hardball-led Michigan. Like, I don't, they may not be that talented or whatever, but they, like, were physically imposed upon. And so, their their defense is solid. They they're only giving up about eighteen points a game, mm-hmm. and they've forced eight turnovers already. And they have a returned fumble for a touchdown. Um, yeah, they have a they have a scary good defense. But, yeah, and I mean, as long as you have, like, those four defensive line, like, making plays, mm-hmm. if you are Utah and you're getting pressure rushing four defensive linemen, that is awesome. Like, that is a fantastic scenario. And I really think they will be able to get pressure with four. Yeah. Um. I also think our we're going to see a lot more pass routes like we saw against Michigan State, like to Charles Nelson, to mm-hmm. Dwayne Stanford, to Braylon Addison, Tony Brooks, James, and just going from the outside in. You know, we, try, we tried that a little with Michigan State, starting on the inside with Royce Freeman. Didn't work. So I think we're going to see more of the outside in strategies. Um. I'm really terrified by this defensive line. And on offense, they have the four guys back who are all really physical. And, like, 
like as we said earlier in this podcast, I don't think running backs are able. There's like only a few running backs that are really able to transcend their offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think Devonte Booker uh, transcends his line, but he is the icing on the cake. Like he's the finishing move in Mortal Kombat. Yeah, he's he averaging runs. 115 yards a game this year. Yeah. Um, and he runs in the best way. Like, he runs hard. He's physical. And he yeah. complements his line perfectly. Like, it's not like DeAnthony Thomas behind a really physical line. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who's fast, and he runs hard, and he runs through people. And it's a perfect complement to his line. Um, we kind of talked about this beforehand. Travis Wilson... Didn't play at all against Fresno State. He had a sprained left shoulder that he suffered during the Utah State game. Mm -hmm. So the guy who filled in for him is Kendall Thompson. Kendall Thompson played every snap last game. He didn't play at all against Michigan. Played half the game against Utah State. Took all the snaps against Fresno State. Also, Kendall Thompson was shredding us last year. Yes. That um, was the original Pac-12 after dark game. Yeah, that one was nuts because and the fumble. I'm gonna pull up that game, and that's like one like many of Oregon's games last year. Like you look at that score from last year, 51-27 Oregon, and you're like, oh, all right, Oregon took care of business. Boring game, didn't miss much. No, you missed everything. Yeah, it just it all happened in like the first half of the game um yeah kendall thompson was tearing the ducks apart and then travis wilson came into the game yeah after kendall thompson was injured yeah thompson went down wilson came in and the rest is history yeah and Travis Wilson's actually improved a ton since then. Mm-hmm. Like, his his biggest problem constantly was his turnovers. He was the Dr. Bo of the Pac-12. Um, he just, he made some plays, but he also just tanked his team sometimes. Just making dumb plays. Like, it wasn't even like he was forcing it. It was just dumb. Mm-hmm. And he really cut down on that since he came back last season. Um, while he well turnovers are like pretty much statistically proven the absolute worst thing that can happen to your team. Um, so Oregon being like plus twenty four years in a row was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um. But he's cut down on that a bunch. And going with that, he's also lost, uh, but he's also lost some of his big plays. Like his yards per attempt have gone down from like 14 to 7. Mm-hmm. So he's being much safer, but he's also not turning the ball over, which is really fine when you have your when they have the offensive line they do and Devontae Booker. Like you don't need to be spreading and shredding so much when that's what you have. Yeah, exactly. And I think Devontae Booker is kind of – He's he's one he's one of those 
he, he's a dual threat guy because they'll use him like as a receiver out of the backfield too. Uh-huh. Uh, he's 157 all-purpose yards per game this year, which ranks 20th in the country. Uh-huh. He's he's kind of the I, I think he's the X factor. I mean, I'm not that like. And Travis Wilson, decent quarterback. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm not that worried about the Ducks being able to contain the passing game. I just I want them to be able to to kind of shut down Booker and take that element out of their offense. Because um, if you can if you can take a huge player like Booker, if you can like just take him out of the game. And, you know, put transition all that pressure onto onto Wilson's shoulders, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Oh, good one. That was oh, bounce. Uh back to the, the serious points though. Yeah. Um No serious yeah. all only serious takes on Sling and Quack. Of course. We we like to have a good time here. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I I don't know. I I mean I I think Utah is like a team that and we were kind of like we were touching this earlier in the year. Um and again, hindsight is 2020, right? Mm-hmm. When we were doing our Pac-12 South preview. Mm-hmm. You said I said Arizona State was going to win it. You said UCLA was going to win it. Mhm. You're looking like the smarter man right now. I I am. Um, but if we had to, if we had to do it again, like through to, up to this point, like I I would be more inclined to pick Utah to win it over. Ooh. I, I would still like. I would still take like. I think UCLA is going to win the South now, just because of how clutch they looked against BYU and that was like that's not a bad football team um, like that was a pretty big win for them yeah and just how clutch they were in that game and I think that's what you need to succeed is how, like have that clutch factor and I think that UCLA has it but if it wasn't UCLA I think Utah is going to be right on their heels um, yeah I don't think Utah is going to shoot themselves in the foot like yeah. they're not a team that's gonna lose a game. Like you exactly. have to win it. And they're Utah's good. Like that I mean, yeah, echoing off your point is it was like this Pac twelve South is deep. And I was like, UCLA mm-hmm. has got the star power, USC like has just got power, there's like stars everywhere, and USC's got the obvious standouts. Arizona State's dangerous. Like Arizona was solid last year, but it was always like Utah, like like Utah could win, but we think they'll be fifth. Arizona, you thought Arizona State would win. I thought they'd be like third. But like you can make, you could have made a serious. I think we said this. Like you could make a serious, like push for every single team winning the Pac-12 South except Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to look back. I'm looking back through. Oregon schedule. I think the last time that they had a a tough 
like, I think the last time they had a tough opener, or like at least going into the game, not necessarily like how the game was played. You mean Pac-12 opener? Pac-12 opener, yeah. I think to you have open to go up back. Schedule. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think you have to go back to to like 2012 when Oregon was playing Arizona and it was like supposed to be the clash of like the top two offenses in the country and Oregon just they just they bitch slapped him it was like 49 to nothing and I'm trying to even remember what that game looked like it basically it looked like I'm pulling up the recap of the game from like three years ago Oh my God! This may, this just this redshirt freshman Marcus Mariota. Oh man, <laughs> come just back! That, come just back. that statement alone, right there. Come back. Um, Oregon didn't find its stride until the second half. Arizona never did. I remember there were like there was like at least one pick six at the end of like end of the game that was kind of just like the nail in the coffin for this statement. How do I not uh, remember this game, like, at all? Yeah, let's see. See, this is this is what I'm talking about when I say I forgot more stuff about Oregon football than most people ever know. Quarterback Matt Scott passed for 210 yards. Oh, my God. Three Matt times. Scott. Matt Scott was the starting quarterback in that game. Um, this is unbelievable. This is, Oh, yeah. Mad Mike, shout out to you. I'm watching the highlights off your video. And that was so. That was probably the last time that, like, at least going into it, like, it was a big, you know, it was a big opener for to start the conference season. Um, Twenty thirteen, they opened against California at home. Mm-hmm. Not really that exciting. Twenty fourteen, they opened against Washington State on the road. That was an insane game, but going into it, you're right. right, You're like, okay, yeah, California. They weren't that. They weren't awesome. Twenty thirteen, yeah. Twenty twelve was Arizona. Twenty eleven was at Arizona. Twenty ten was at Arizona State, but that none of those teams were ranked. It was really Arizona at number twenty two. Yeah, I mean, and if you want to go back to like the last time the last time that Oregon like opened the conference season and it was a game where it was like okay it's go time this is a huge opponent let's go 2009 Cal is ranked number 6 in the country oh my god that is one of the most fun games I've ever watched I remember because that was like after we hadn't thrown a passing touchdown and we opened with Boise State yeah that was awful. It was, that was a bad start. It was... Uh, Almost lost to Purdue. First, yeah, first game, I, I, first game I was in the... I take that back. Actually, the Oregon-Utah game was the first one I was in the student section for. Um, this was... I think Paul the 2009 schedule. Oh, man. We're taking a little detour down memory lane here on Sling and Quack. Which is weird because we never take detours. Never. We we always stay exactly on topic. Um, yeah, that one was 
I got confused with myself. This is also like making me feel old, even though I'm not even uh-huh. a quarter of a century old yet. But I was like, wait, how is that the conference opener when we played Utah the week before? Oh. This was this was the Pac-10. Oh. oh, yeah, the Utah game. It was the white helmets, green jerseys, uh, steel pants where Walter Thurmond had a uh, punt return for a touchdown. Yes. And then he I blew remember. up another guy in coverage. Yeah. And they still so show that tape. That, that California game was like the last time it was like a huge conference opener. Right. Um, I would say that like this is the Oregon-Utah game to start the season. Like it's a top 20 matchup between two teams. I would say this is like the biggest one to open the season since that California game in 09. Man, that game in 09 was so much fun too, especially with the retro uniforms. Oh, it was. Jeremiah was slowly actually showing that he can be a fluid quarterback. And the Oregon student section not knowing it was going to be sunny and 85 degrees <laughs> and nobody wore sunscreen that day. Yeah, great. It was good times. Yeah, so I'm watching these highlights from 2012. We have a young Ifo Ekpre Olamu breaking up passes. Guess who is the one blowing up every play? He's a who linebacker. Is, who is that? Kiko Alonso. Oh, the legend. The, <laughs> the man, legend of Kiko Alonso. The man, the myth, the legend. Oh man. God, this is this is this is this is like looking back in like a like a yearbook, just like oh god, this team, I love them. I love this part of them. I love this part of them. Kenyon Barner, icing people. Man, that, that was a good season. So, oh yeah, at USC, that because that was the season where uh, I was like every game this year except for Arizona State, because um, that was a Thursday. Uh, but yeah, at USC with Kenyon Barner and DeAnthony Thomas and Marcus Mariota. Remember Marcus Mariota just like handing up. Kenyon Barner rushing for over 300 yards. Oh, guess who was on this team too? Colt Lairla. Oh my god. I think this was the game where Brian Bennett and Colt Lairla both held onto the football as they ran into the end zone. Yeah. That was a great play. That was... Oh, a read option where I'm supposed to read one and then pull it? Nope, we're doing this at the same time. Best friends forever. <laughs> it's like a trust fall with friendship, but... Football oh, style. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, I really think the X factor, because I think the Utah offensive line is going to perform well. I think the defensive line is going to put a stressor on Oregon. I think that we're going to see a lot of... Uh, who's the backup that we just talked about him for Utah? Kendall Thompson. Kendall Thompson. I think we're going to see a lot of Kendall Thompson. Yeah. Because he was kind of abusing our defense last year. And he got injured and Travis Wilson came in and I was like... Feel kind yeah, of bad that I, Thompson's out, but this is pretty good because Travis Wilson makes a lot of mistakes. I think if Kendall Thompson had stayed in the game last year, I mean, oh yeah, things could have gotten real dark real fast. Oh yeah, and it wasn't even until like Oregon was on its heels 
until uh, until uh, Joe Walker fumble. Good old Kalen Clay. Yeah, exactly. So, and yeah, it was that touchdown that he had that really like kind of sealed the deal, or like that was the momentum shifter where it was like getting. It's like when uh, you know when someone dies and then they put like the heart thing on them or whatever. Mm-hmm. What is that? What is that called? I'm sure there's like one doctor who's listening to this right now. It's where they like rub the two things together and then like. Oh, I don't know the technical term for it. Everyone knows like, what I'm talking about, though. Like you, you yell clear in the paddles. Yeah, and... give me one of these stat. Which I is just... apparently a very rude thing to say. The stat. That's really like a TV thing. Literally, I had to Google it, but they are defibrillator. Defibrillators, apps. yes. Yes, that, the Joe Walker touchdown was like the defibrillator. It like woke everybody up. Like, all right. Yeah. All right, uh, it's, it's go time. Like, that was such a momentum shifter. Normally, I'm not a huge advocate of, like, plays being momentum shifters. Because I'm, like, one of the super nerdy logic type people. But... That, that was, that was like the shifter. one play where it's like, oh, this is a this is a turn of events. Yeah. So, all right. Well, do you have any predictions? I've seen this line everywhere. Like I've seen it in a ton of different places. So I don't even know what it is at this point. As far as scores go, I'm. You're I'm gonna go. You're going with a win, right? You're going to think it's a win. I'm going to go with a win. I'm going to go with a, it's going to be a very close win. Okay. Um. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Oregon. Oregon thirty. Thirty-one Utah. Oregon thirty-four Utah twenty-seven. Oh, isn't it weird being able to give like field goal numbers now? I know. I used to have been like okay. Well, Twenty-eight I'm... something like thirty. It was never yeah. like. 31 or 38 it was never always factored in field goals now I'll give it was always it was always groups of seven yeah uh yeah 34 27 gonna be a close one but it'll be uh it'll, it'll be a really good game i'm i'm excited for it and i am leading a, a pers- little side transition into my my day job here, I I work usually ten to six on six thirty on weekends. Ugh. So Saturdays, me and like two other people at the store. I work at a running store for those who do not know. So we lead fun runs on Saturday mornings that leave at like eight thirty. So I do the fun run, run with a group of people, come back to the store, work all day. But the catch is that I get to leave work at 4.30. If you do the fun run? If I do the fun run. So I volunteered myself up this weekend. So big of you. you Knowing that the Utah game was going to kick off at 5.30. Taking one for the team. Had it been a 7 p.m. kickoff, someone else can go do the running. Yeah. But I will lead the fun run, and I will get off in time. And I will catch the entire game, which I'm stoked about. Fantastic. Well, this is actually a game worth, like... Worth watching. Yeah. 
So um, I will probably make a valiant effort to get Taco to to reunite at the R Bar. Good. Your your guys' videos and texts I was getting were unbelievable. We we, we won't discuss you, it, but that was great. I loved it. Yeah. If you read the last. Uh, if you read the Taco Tuesday after the Michigan State game, you can just get a snippet of what our night was like. Um, he inserts a story into there that was absolutely true about the the drink pairing they had for the night was uh, nine bucks gets you a 16-ounce can of Bud Light and a shot of Jameson. <laughs> it's like college over again. It's... What can we get right now? <laughs> I've got 10 bucks. How much alcohol can I get? I want the most alcohol, the most of it at the cheapest price. And the funniest part, too, was that I walked into the bar and right before kickoff, like, Taco had been working on a drink and he had like, a, like you know, when like they give you like a glass of a glass of scotch or like a glass of something, you can know, you just have the bottle up. <laughs> <laughs> And it was like, you know, it was one of those like small glasses, like bigger than a shot glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and by the time that like by even before halftime, they just switched to giving everyone in the bar just shots instead. Of course. Just pounding through them. Of course. So if I waste your time, Oregon is about efficiency. If we can can get past those demons and uh and return to the spot where things went downhill then it should be fun I'll, all i'll say is you guys you guys will know on atq twitter if if we're at the r bar or not yeah you were doing a pretty solid job of tweeting it out and like tweeting out videos and stuff of that place just going ham it'll it's a, a it's touchdowns. a festive place yeah the only time i've been in one of those was on when i was in new york city uh, for college for a year and a half and I went to for the 2008 Civil War game I found this one place uh, yeah for the 2008 Civil War game where Jeremiah Masoli led us to a win over I don't even remember that guy's name it was like it was another Polynesian guy who played quarterback for the Beavers where if they won they went to the Rose Bowl mm-hmm. 58 was it 58-43 was that the score 64 Hang on. It was like 65. Because I remember that was a joke for a long time on ATQ. Yeah. Oregon, Oregon State 2008. Where's the score? Where's the score? Where's the score? I remember like the, oh, what was it? Uh, It was 65 to 38. Yes. And. Yes. Oh man! If you try and go to the, if you try and click on the link, I, I'm getting all this information off of Wikipedia. Okay. But if you, if you go to, if you try and click on the link for the 2008 game, the link doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> no one, no Beavers fan will admit it happened. You know what? Uh, you know what's crazy about that? The most memorable part of that. Who's the Beaver quarterback? Here we go. Here's the box score from that game. Who's the Beaver quarterback? Lyle. Lyle Moivau. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I'm such a nerd. Um, <laughs> uh, I distinctly remember that game because OSU was trying to get the ball back with like a little 
left like about two minutes left. And so Oregon was just running dive plays. Mm-hmm. Like they're just putting Jeremiah Johnson up the middle. And uh and like after the second so it was like third and like six. And Oregon State like kept calling timeout, so he gets the third and six. Masoli hands off the ball to Jeremiah Johnson, who just rips through the Oregon State defense. Yeah. And he he went nuts that game. But this one play especially, he like did a juke, got past the guy. The guy like throws a flailing like poke to the ball. The ball pops loose and is like spinning in the air and Jeremiah Johnson just catches it perfectly yeah. and puts it away as he stiff arms another guy and then just takes off. It was beautiful. And so that was up seven points. The next play on offense for the Beavers was a pick six to Walter Thurmond. What a change of events. Like, 14-point swing in two minutes. Oh, it's beautiful how that happens. Yeah. I remember there was, like, a beaver in the same bar. There was, like, a beaver room or something in the one next door. Like, it was a different viewing room entirely. Yeah. And before you know it, there's, like, duck fans, like, parading through that room. When it got really out of hand. Sad beaver fans. Sad beaver faces. I distinctly remember all the sad beaver fans on TV. Like the sad Michigan fans in 2007. Yeah. I remember uh, that after that game, because that was when, instead of going to the Rose Bowl, the beavers went to the Sun Bowl in (gasps) the 3-0 game against Pitt. And I remember... Oh, I yeah, saying, that was that year. Well, we just... I yeah. thought, wasn't it the Alamo? No, it was the Sumble. We just talked about that because that was the saddest game I've ever seen, followed by Cowboys-Eagles. So I remember going into... I, I, I was in... I was in Las Vegas for the day. Oh. Not, not as fun of a trip as it may sound. I was, I was visiting, visiting a dying family member. That was oh, the purpose Jesus. of the day trip. So it was a little dark. But we God, went out to lunch... And we just, I think we went out to lunch at like the ESPN zone or some. Oh, such a great place to eat there. And the restaurant is like empty. This is like a Wednesday afternoon or something. And I'm wearing my Ducks gear. And they sit us at a table. And then these, they sit these other people like restaurant is literally empty and directly across from us like within earshot they sit down a family of beaver fans and i was like all right you guys know your sports well enough to know that you did this intentionally <laughs> yeah you work at espn and we you know nothing nothing was really said we kind of just smirked at each other and then i get up i i get up to leave and the the guy across the table just goes hey go beeves you know, trying to be all, ha-ha, poke you with that friendly little jacket. Yeah. And in just a moment of just pure viciousness, not even missing a beat, I turn around and go, yeah, how was the Sun Bowl? <laughs> See, that's and what you got to do. You got to keep poking it. His face just was like, he just became sad. That was just <laughs> the only way to put it. And he was like, it's the worst sporting event I've ever been to in my life. It was terrible. It was the worst thing. I remember I was driving back from the Holiday Bowl where Jeremiah Masoli trucked someone and Lee Garrett Blunt hurdled someone and T.J. Ward broke the Oklahoma State quarterback. And I kept driving and kept, like, looking at my phone for the updates. I was like, is my phone broken right now? 
Mm-hmm. Like nothing is happening. So, all right, we are so long on this podcast. So, closing if, comments. Closing comments. Um, excited for the Utah game. It's going to be a fun one. And if so you pumped. made it this far into the You're podcast the with us, like, please let us know so I can send you a participation ribbon. Yep. All right, well, that'll do it for us in Amsterdam. Uh, we're out of quack this week, but after the Utah game, we're going to have a ton. That's Sean. I'm Rusty. See you guys next week.